You're listening to After Hours Conversations with Veronica, brought to you by Veronica Lane Consulting, LLC. After Hours Conversations with Veronica. I am so excited. I've been looking forward to this all day long. We get to talk to Flo Davis. We get to talk to Flo Davis. Now, there is some history there. I actually met Flo at one of the Tampa Bay Tech Startup Weeks, and it was it was such a great experience. And when I connected with her, she actually was inviting, right? This was this was something that was new to me. I had never been to a startup week before, but her smile drew me in. It was as if we had known each other, even though we hadn't. And of course, she has locks. So of course I was connected to that, but we get to talk to her. And she's someone that is well-known in the Tampa Bay area. And I want to give her the opportunity to say a little bit more about herself. So welcome, welcome, Flo. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So um, thanks for the introduction. And I, I love the fact that I, I, I get the warm smile. Sometimes I feel like I over-smile, but I do want to be inviting and make every make sure I'm friendly and make sure everyone feels good. So pretty much I've probably been a professional uh, developer for the past 10 years. Most of my work and most of my professional development experience has been in California, the Silicon Valley area. And I moved back to Tampa around 2017. And that's when I really got into the startup scene, into the tech scene. It very started off my beginnings of Startup Week started me going to see Gary V because I've been a huge fan of him for years and then I was there yeah oh awesome and then I <laughs> met Ebony and then I met some of the other people and it was so crazy how things worked out she's like yo would you like to be a track captain and I'm like and I would love to and so I've been in there at startup week and different startup weekends kind of ever since so like um it's died down a little bit um post-COVID but um definitely was pretty much a maven in a lot of the tech communities in Tampa Bay area and, and St. Pete area type scene. So when I think of Silicon Valley, I make up in my brain what that looks like. Is it just that there are a lot of tech companies in the area, so most people are in those fields? Or is it kind of like Ebor, and there's a road that has a whole bunch of the same type of things on it? What is it like out there, really? Well, I mean, how can how can I explain it? So Mountain View and um, San Jose are, are like the kind of the story behind it kind of like was the gold rush type thing. So Silicon um, from, from the computers made popular there. But I really think the scene um, just kind of a bunch of tech companies were on that scene just similar. The reality is to the California gold rush. So that's really what's made it kind of a maven uh, for society. I can't per se say, you know, 
Mountain View and certain things um, and Sunnyvale, a lot of companies or Cupertino, Apple of them go towards that base. But it's kind of like if you go back in the day, um, wherever when people want to strike gold, <laughs> people just, you know, cohabitate it to that area. So that's how it kind of formulated. So it, it, it's kind of hard to say. I can't say per se. Yes, it is a strip. But the reasoning behind the strip is because basically Silicon um, at that time was the new gold. So pretty much all these businesses went to this mass exodus of a gold rush there. And that's kind of how it became Silicon Valley and all that. They seen, they seen the prize. That's where they all decided to move and kind of became its own thing because of the Silicon gold rush, technically. So. Understood, understood. I have a question for you. All Do right. you like superheroes? Are you into the superhero Marvel DC comic type of thing. Do you do you like that kind of stuff? Yeah, I do. I actually love it. Um, one of my favorite ones were X Men. Um, I love Wolverine. I love Gambit, and I actually love Magneto. And I love it so much that I actually did research, and I realized why I love people like Magneto. Magneto was fashioned after Malcolm X. And I'm a very big Malcolm X fan. I'm not sure about Wolverine and Gambit, but I know mm-hmm. Magneto was um, Malcolm X and Dr. Xavier was Dr. Martin Luther King. So, yeah, I'm a huge fan of like superheroes and superpowers. It's just like just doing things. Um, what can I say? The, the superpower, the super in it or the unnatural or the, the amazing, the beyond. So that I definitely love superhero superheroes and comic books and stuff like that. I'm so happy that, that you said that because I believe that we all have an origin story. And once we figure out what that origin story is, and then that transcends us into where we currently are and where our excellence is, it does usually start somewhere. There is There was something lacking. There was some trigger that caused you to be in the space where you currently are so that you're able to shine. What would you say your origin story was? How did, how did you come to be in the field where you are? Because most of us don't start off here. What did that look like? In terms of just web development and web design, um, I really started in high school, actually. So me... I was a little bit more simplistic. A lot of people around me were always confused with what they want to do, but I went through a couple of different tracks. So I was always artistic, but I probably went for like, I wanted to be a doctor a year. Then for one half of my life, I wanted to be an actress. But then I remember taking the web design class in high school per se. Um, and then I wasn't still fully drawn there yet, but I think maybe my junior year and stuff that I was getting into it in terms of, I've always had both, but I changed pretty much the practice. So kind of backing up, I wanted to be an actress because, again, it's just my imagination. So what I fancy about actress acting, um, because I did like different things in school and middle school and elementary school. I did Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer and sing-alongs. But what I loved about acting is my imagination. I can be anything I want it to be. But I always drew as well. So I got into web design. Um, video was a little heavy because I didn't have the, per se, the processing speed on my computer at that time. But I got into web design because it took my 
my visual design or my artistry and it animated and brought it to life. So that was really the structure of where I get, got into. So it was kind of, I've always been on this creative end in these creative arts. Um, and so this one lane, I kind of went visual and that's kind of where I've kind of ended up. So I've always kind of played with both. I've always drawn and things like that, but that's pretty much where I focused on for these past maybe 20 years now and just kind of honed in my skills on that. So that was kind of the track that just kind of lead, lead, led me to where I am now. But in terms of anything, in terms of creativity, that's just who I naturally am. See, I love that because a lot of us don't, don't know where we want to begin. See, I thought that I wanted to be an astronaut. I just knew that, that I love everything about space, the damn stars, all of the planets. And my favorite one is Jupiter. I love Jupiter. It's something about that red, that big red dot. Loving it. But once I did research, I said, you know what? I don't go on cruises because I can't make phone calls. So if I can't make phone calls and I'm here, I know that I'm not quite in the framework of being able to be out in space somewhere. So I had to take a look at the different things that I could do, but I still loved problem solving. And, and that's one of the things that, that I adore about project management and, and everything tied to it, because it's as if everything is a puzzle. And when you shared with me about how things started with you, even when you are a actress, or you're doing design, you still have a beginning. Something climactic is going to take place. And then you have the call to action piece. When we're in project management, it's very similar to that, right? You, you, you have that origin story or, or how things are going to start. Then you bring in all of your cast members hopefully they're also superheroes as well <laughs> that's a hope and then you also have that call to action at the end especially when we have to deliver it back to the business Absolutely. your specialty from my understanding and please tell me if I am not right are you more on the business analyst side or do you run the projects too? What does that look like? At, at this point, probably probably I run the projects. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely run the projects because I have to do the execution and all of that. So I would definitely say more on running kind of the projects. Okay. Now, now that you're running it, do you get to pick your team or... Are they voluntold to be on your team? They're voluntold because we're, we're a few. So we, <laughs> what I mean, I only honestly right now only have one designer, only have one digital marketing manager. I have a, 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 a few marketing managers that I work with, but yeah, they're pretty much voluntold. <laughs> oh, excellent, excellent. Because sometimes those are the best. Now, when I talk to those, I I, I still tell them that they were chosen. Like you were, you were actually picked to be here. You wouldn't be here if you didn't have the skills necessary to bring things over the finish line. Maybe you don't know what those skills are yet. Maybe I'm supposed to be that energy giver and not really the energy taker. So as you're leading, 
how do you get the best out of people, especially when they don't know that the best is in there? Mm. <laughs> that is a good, that is a great question. So I'm, I'm kind of trying to recall back to different times. I think I'm a really great uh, motivational person, just in general, like I, I, I'm very observant. So I watch what they, they do. So in general, I can see things. I just feel like other people can't see. So um, I empathize with them. I also, you know, give them words of encouragement. And when they're doing something right, um, I, I appreciate that. And I thank them. I let them know how important that is. And I also encourage a culture on both ends of feedback on my end what you think that you should do better, I can do better. Also encouraging me being able to give like honest feedback to them as well. So definitely doing a uh, feedback loop. But when someone's doing something right, every opportunity I can, I really encourage them. And that, that really makes a difference. But again, I, I look at be my leadership style. I can say in comparison to other people, I see things that other people can't see. So I look at a person's skill set and i I put them where their strong suit is and I see other people don't do that. They might put someone, so someone might be very analytical. They're strong there. So I'll put them in an analytics instead of per se and putting that person who's analytical in an execution path, or there might be someone that they need a very prescribed way of doing rules. Hey, you do this, you do this, you do that. And I put them in that position where they thrive in comparison to me. I am, I do terrible with micromanagement. So I just tell me the problem and I'll come up with the solution. <laughs> so it's really knowing who you work with. And I'm just naturally observant and, and trying to play to the best of those skills. That is such a gift. That is such a gift. And, and that, that means that you, that you're actually in tune with your emotional intelligence side. So, so we have the emotional in, intelligence but we also have the emotional quotient. And a lot of people think that those mean the same thing and they really don't. The emotional intelligence side is what you come with. The emotional quotient is what you do with it. Amen. So when you have it, people tend to gravitate to the energy that you put out, which is a blessing and sometimes not so much. So has there been a opportunity where you said, I, I probably could have done that better. I, I probably could have led that person down a different path. Maybe I could have spoken to them differently. Maybe I should have pulled out some more information. Has there ever been a time where what you attempted to do didn't yield the result that you thought that it could have? So I, I think... I think sometimes I, there's someone who I can say I'm really close with that I work with and we like, we actually have a superb working style together, but I think our, the combination of our personalities being so similar there from her, I learned to pause and I've learned that in all different uh, situations. So again, I'm not perfect, even though my emotional intelligence is high, sometimes when I'm frustrated with something, I won't have all the information and I'll kind of go off the handles. So I think one of the significant lessons is there was a time something happened and I completely misunderstood it. And if I would have just paused before I responded, that would have made all the difference. But like I meditate now and I do so many different things that 
um, help me to control my anger or help me to control my burnout and frustration. But a pause is is kind of a major is a major thing, and, and that kind of brings me back to a story. I can't recall if it was Abraham Lincoln or, but it was somebody who had an army. Um, one of the presidents, and and I and I again, I can't I can't recall what book I got this from, but I remember he wrote this nasty letter to one of his attorneys, not attorney, but one of his generals, and he ended up reading it but not sending it. And he just kind of threw it away to get all his emotion expressed. And then he talked to him in a calm manner. So when I when I look at things and and this is one thing I tell my friend all the time, sometimes it to me is not always about being right. It's about what is the outcome. So if I pause, I could have thought about we could have got to that place without the argument, without the craziness. If I would have paused and really took time to think about the outcome and where I'm going to put that energy. So I could say for me. <laughs> the, the blessing in the pause because sometimes I can go off the handles. <laughs> <laughs> now that that would actually be really helpful because there there are people that I tell them, okay, when you're writing your emails, don't put the address in yet. Put the address in last because you don't want it to be sent by accident. So everything that you wanted to say, all the Feelings that you needed to get out, type it. But see, there is no address in there. So there's no risk of it being sent out. Type it, put it out there, and then you can erase it, discard it as if it didn't happen. But you just have to make sure that you don't. <laughs> Please do not put the address in there because then bad bad things could happen. Bad things could happen. Now, this is a a conversation that I've never been able to have with someone else. Um, it's, it's just been something that has occurred with me, but I, I wanted to know if this had taken place with you. Okay. As you can see, I am not Caucasian, right? So the fact that I am not, I am usually in meetings where I'm the only one in there that looks like me. When I run things, I'm at whatever level it happens to be. When I was working for someone else, I was the only one. And I found that when I was walking in the population, right? So we sat here and then the rest of the world sat somewhere else and I would need to get information from the business and go and have all of those conversations. But periodically, I would get stopped. Someone would pull on me and they would ask me, how did you get where you are? Because you started with us. But every three months, you got promoted. And now you're at this place. Now, when I was there, I thought this place was a big deal. But now that I'm in it, I'm like, I feel the same as I did when I was sitting there. I, I, I feel the same. I had to think to myself, what, what can I share with that person so that they know that these types of things are possible for them, even if they don't see it for themselves yet? How do you speak to people who may look a little bit more like us 
thinking that there's no way that that they can get to those meetings because they don't see people who look like them in those meetings. How do you bring them? What kind of conversation would you have? So my conversation is great. It's great that you asked that question because I get a lot. I get it a lot in technology. So um, the firm I'm at now, the financial institution, probably would be the first place where I actually work with other like women of color, to be honest. So the same, the same, the same experiences that you've had, I've definitely had the same when they're looking at me cross-eyed and, and why are you in these different places? The, the, the advice that I gave, because I remember the last time I had a question, I think it was a, it was a meetup group, Sisters in Technology. So they were just blown that I was like, I work for Google and all this stuff and all these different places. But there's two things. There's one thing, um, which I feel I don't agree with, but the reality is that really is what happened. One thing, my grandmother raised me and I'm not the only woman of color who's experienced this. Like, okay, you have to work 10 times as hard and all this stuff. But the reality is, and a lot of the, the rooms I'm in or the engineering people, I am a lot more intelligent than most of my peers. There'll be times that they are. And, and, you know, and I'm like, you know, how did they even get there? But what I say um, when I went to Google or so for all these places, my thought process was never on my color. My thought process was always my talent and my skill. So I had like the portfolios and I would speak a certain way and that's, that really was at the forefront of my mind. I've never thought about my color. And I've been asked about my dread so many times. Uh, <laughs> even now. So, but that is like, well, how do you wear your hair like that? Because I, I didn't, I never thought about the lim- limitations. And then I, and I thought like, if I'm in a place and not saying I'm going to cuss and be crazy all over the place, but if I'm in an environment where I authentically cannot be me, that's probably not the environment for me. And because I also thought about, other people too, because when I was younger in college, I had my godparents to show me an example because I've never really, before them, I've never met really wealthy people that were black. So I, I, I thought about the importance of them seeing someone who looked like them. So I couldn't help but be authentic because the fact is for the teenager, for that person, once when you're a certain age, you'd have to see it before you got into that full confidence in yourself. So those were all the things that were going through my mind. It just was, it's never a thought about my color, even though those were things that really did happen. There were people that just, you know, even beyond me getting in big time. I remember when I was at Sears, I was, um, I sold TVs, large appliances and me as a salesperson, I was extremely knowledgeable of my product. And so there was even a, a close friend of mine. He was a white guy too. And he came to me, he's like, you know, there was, I was trying to sell a person a connector for his TV, trying to let him know, okay, your TV is too old to receive this. You need this connector. And the guy was like, can you get me someone who knows what they're talking about? And then as soon as my friend came over there, he was a white guy. He's like, oh, thank God. Someone who knows what they're talking about. He didn't say a word. And like, he basically said the exact same thing I did. And he went to me and he just apologized. Like, yo, Flo, that dude is so racist before I even said anything. And I gave him the exact same instructions that you have. But at the end of the day, with all that, and that was me in college. So that's me at 18 year old, 18 experiencing that. But that just was never in my mind. So like, it really, my inner voice was a much stronger than that other influence. And the way my grandmother raised me to be intelligent and smart, I just didn't see myself anything uh, uh, other than the best. So that was 
um, I would just tell them to shift their focus and it is possible. So excellent, excellent. Yeah. I answered your question, but oh yes, I, you I, did. Yeah. 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 Definitely. And and how I how I've thought about it is that I don't see me until I look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing out of this body. I don't, I don't usually see it, right? Kind of like people are like, you don't wear a lot of makeup. You don't have a lot of lip- lipstick. I said, no, I don't. No, I don't. And I only look, look at myself once, maybe twice during the day. Outside of that, this is your burden. This is what you need to look at. <laughs> I don't actually look at myself very often at all. But I always like to help, though. I want to be that catalyst. One of my friends, my work friend, who turned into a friend, 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 Mm -hmm. used to call me a catalyst. And I said, I don't understand what you mean. Why do you say that I'm a catalyst? And he said, well, because for whatever reason, people tell you things. Because of the space that you're in, you're actually able to bring things out of people that other people may not have been able to gather. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that secret sauce happens to be, but you definitely have it. What do you believe your secret sauce is? What what is it that makes people so drawn to the energy that you put out? Because I... I ask that because in the business world and the things that we have to do, we have to connect with people who we didn't know prior. We have to make sure that we pull the requirements out that they don't know that they needed to give us, right? They just want that end result. And sometimes they don't even know what the end needs to be. So we have to figure out how to build that connection so that they do give it to us. But there's something about us that pulls that out of them. So if I were to call you a catalyst, tell me why that would be a a valid statement. So I I think there's a a dual component. I think some of the things that I naturally have, I have empathy. So I naturally can put myself in other people's shoes. A lot of people just don't get it. So like I can empathize with them. I can have an understanding of them. And also I have a high level of what can you say, just self-awareness. And I realize a lot of people are not aware of themselves. And when they're aware of their self with someone who's strong and self, they draw people to them because a lot of people don't know themselves. They're pulling out a piece of this. They're watching this. They're looking at this person doing that. So people are just naturally drawn to me, I think by those few things. But I think that average advice that I can give everyone Start off with yourself and really knowing yourself and you will naturally attract those people coming to you because unfortunately, there's still a lot of people in the world that don't know your, themselves. And, and I believe that on, on the outside of this shell, we all have the same energy. And I think that's a lot of times that what attracts people to me, like the realness, the authenticity um, and the same thing like you have. I'll get them strangers telling me stuff I've never like that. I. That's one of their life story, you know, but um, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm definitely uh, naturally an empath. They would say in the new age world, they would say empath, but I've been that way for a very, very long time, even since a child. So, um, but I think what gets people closer, closer to that, it's just the self-awareness because I feel like we're all connected. So once you get to a strong knowing yourself, you're closer to knowing other people. And we have 
our technical side, which is important, right? We, we have to know how to do it. When we're in the front and we have to lead, we have to know where we're leading them. There, there needs to be some type of a foundation that will bring them to that next place. Even if they don't know how to get there, even, even if they don't know all of the terminology that is tied to it, we know it. So we just need to take them to that next place. Now, I don't know if you've experienced this or not. I am a certified project management professional. (laughs) I am an agile certified practitioner, but I know others. I know other people who have all of those certs. And for whatever reason, there, there are times when they will say, but I don't use any of it. I don't, I don't use it as well. Do you go to different trainings? No, I don't. no, I, I pretty much know what I, what I need to know. And I'm going to just rock with that until I don't need that. But, but I, I believe that I possess everything that I need to know already. Now, as a, a trainer, hearing something like that hurts my stomach. What do you mean you're not going to continue to build upon the knowledge that you have, things are always changing. You may have found that there are certain people who you may have worked with at some point who don't want to learn new things. (laughs) I know what I know and I know what I know. How do you feel about training? How do you feel about that continuing education component? Do you think it's something that is beneficial or do you think that it would be better for people just to only learn things organically when they happen to be exposed to it? What are your thoughts on that? I think training and learning just the the whole thing period is beneficial. I think even there are studies even with Alzheimer's disease, like, you know, like people, once they start learning new things, that's when they have issues with their memory. Again, I'm not a doctor. There's other facets to that. <laughs> but I, I learning is fundamental to me. But again, learning is one of the natural things because I'm naturally curious. I'm just very observant and I'm I'm curious to go deep into how things work. I love like going deep into things. And I really think um life is a lifelong learning in general. So people that are just comfortable with what they have, they get stale because the reality of reality even in life is changing. So you have to be agile and just being okay with being new with something. I think most people don't like to learn or the people, again, because I would I'd just be completely frank, in this work environment, they're really old-fashioned. So this is the highest degree of people that I have to deal with that just want to keep doing things the same way they've been doing it for 100 years. So it really frustrates me because I'm exactly the opposite. I'm like jumping out the windows and trying something new and iterating, prototyping and testing. But the reality is, you have to, or you'll be you'll be left behind. You'll be obsolete because whether you change or not, the whole world is changing. Who could have predicted we have a pandemic right now, where the the whole world had no chance, no choice but to sit back and change? So I I believe it's a necessity for everyone if they want to survive life um, or or move there. You can go the hard way, or you could be knocked down. So that's that's my that's my take on learning. I think it's a really really big deal. Excellent, excellent. And and I had said to someone, I said, did you know that 
the iPhone is only 13 years old. But you realize it's only 13. The keynote came out in 2007. There were three apps. There was a phone app. There was the internet. And there was the music side, the iPod side of things. But the phone that was tethered to the wall worked just fine. Mm-hmm. It worked just fine. So we don't have to think about the the future because something was broken. Sometimes it's just great to make it better. If we're able to make it better, what are the different ways that we can make it better? So in the field that that you're in, which is extremely tied to the technology space, because as, as most of our listeners know, project management isn't one size fits all. Project management is something that is a way of thinking. How are you going to get to your desired end result? And how do you make sure that you don't miss things to get there? One size doesn't fit all. Now, a lot of people who, whom I've spoken to, they, they would say, so what do you do? And I've been known to say, well, I'm a project manager. And they said, oh, yeah, so what do you do? And you're holding yourself back from saying it's in the title. Project manager, I manage projects. <laughs> That's what I do. But it's not just that, right? We are, we are taking something that didn't exist and we're thinking about the thought processes to make it exist. What do I have? What don't I have? And what can I turn it into? What has been your favorite project tied to something that hasn't existed before? And now when you look at it, you're like, I did that. Ooh, my favorite project, even though it was a great company in terms of like creativity. And, then, and it was, it was actually at the same time, my most stressful <laughs> company working for, but I probably will say Apple when I worked on um, iPhone six, there was quite a few other versions, but yeah, that was just, that was just when we were doing a lot of things that we'd never uh, done before. And then just being at a place where the whole world looks at you for design and realizing, okay, my web page or my websites are like in these Apple stores and millions and they're breaking records in sales. And we, I was part of the team that did, you know, mobile and we had a design for a phone that didn't exist yet. So like that, 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 that required a certain degree of thinking because you had your things that you could test that were here, but then you had kind of had to think out the box. Cause it's kind of like, this is not here either suspect how am I going to work with something that's not here. And then we did have issues where we had to go back and fix things for the iPhone six, because it was really difficult to test kind of after the fact. But I think, yeah, because we did parallax, we did a lot of things that, you know, as usual, not as much anymore, because there's a lot of creative companies out there, Google and all that stuff. But as usual, we did things, you know, we we're the first to do it. And so many people copied. So mm-hmm. that, the still by far my most creative projects were really at Apple and we just figured it out as a team and camaraderie and we pushed the limits and just 
um, got things done. I was working with amazing people that I was inspiring. We worked a lot. <laughs> we worked around the clock, even on the weekends and holidays. So that was the downside of being on the marketing team there because you just, you, you work basically to death. Like we didn't miss deadlines, but I still can say what I learned for that. That's been the most creative things that I didn't even think I was at that level um, as a designer. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. And, and I know that we don't always get the opportunity to ask questions, mm-hmm. but I always like to give people time to ask me questions because I flow. I've seen some things. I've seen some things. Feel free. You have the floor. What questions do you have for me? Okay, so these were, these will be selfishly um, <laughs> in, in the benefit of me and my team right now, because um, pretty much, like I said, on the beginning of the call, um, the company, again, I don't, I'm not going to put them out there because they're a pretty large company, but at least the team, I, they, they kind of do things old fashioned. And I'm a developer, I'm a designer, a programmer, and I need to do things efficiently. So these will be selfish questions that will help me in my day-to-day role. So my first thing is, how do you introduce project management to a team that doesn't use project management at all? You would start, well, actually, you would want to, and you might have done this already, but you want to speak to them in the language that they understand, right? There are some people who are heartfelt, right? So so when you introduce something to them, you're actually tying it to their emotional tie to things. But then you also have have people that are more head people, right? It's more cerebral. So you want to think about, well, how do they process when something not so fantastic has taken place, where do they go to first? Do they look at the numbers or do they pay, pay attention to how it felt when it took place? If they're numbers people, then you would want to speak to all of these stats that say companies that are at this place use project management this percentage of the time. There are a lot of Gallup polls out there. There are a lot of other polls out there. So I can definitely share those with you too. But you want to actually speak to the numbers. And then, I don't know if you've ever been in sales, but what we then talk to is that takeaway. It's that takeaway. No, we don't have to do that. But if we don't, this is the downside. This is is how it is going to impact things. And I would like you to sign off on the fact that you don't want to do this. Why don't you want to put your name on it? Why don't you want to put your name on the fact that this is not what you want to do? Right? So when you provide them with all of the knowledge You've done your part. If they do not move forward, you can at least say, I gave them all of the information. I used to say, all things held constant. So my team would always say, all things held constant, Veronica? I said, absolutely. Because as I know what I know today, as I gain more information, I then have permission to make that shift. Now, what if they're heart people? 
they're not head people. What if they are heart people? If they're heart people, then they probably have a fear of failure. They don't want someone to think that they went off of the rails in this crazy path that is going to cost money that isn't going to yield the benefit. They don't want to work from that fear place, right? That's that's where that perfectionist side comes in. You actually want to steer them into being excellent because there are characteristics of being perfect. There is fear. There is a control factor. There is a, I don't want to hear anyone's mouth that I did this wrong. There, there is the, what if, what if it is wrong, right? They're, they are truly coming from a fear place. But if we're pushing them towards their excellence, they're actually paying attention to the journey. And, and they're actually learning in that process. We don't actually want people to be perfect. We want people to strive for excellence and whatever that excellence looks like for them. But everything that they've done up until this point has brought them to where they are today. It apparently worked for them in the past. You actually want to show them how this isn't going to work for them in the future. Any other questions for me? Oh, that, that was beautiful. So I, for, I can say for one thing, I actually have a combination of both, right? So for my direct boss, definitely when I look at the way that that person moves, it's definitely the, the perfectionist, the fear. And again, I've been doing this for 30 years. That's that person's direction. That person lost numbers person. So I feel like I would have to be a combination. And the salespeople are definitely numbers people. So I would have to definitely to to do the buy-in a, a combination of both. And, and yeah, that was kind of my second question. Mm-hmm. How do you get corporate buy buy-in when you realize, okay, um, basically, I think I said this in the beginning. I've every job that I had, and not say they're not the most efficient, but every every place I've worked until here and this position, we had some type of project management methodology, whether it be agile or wildfall or something so for most of my career i was already brought into it so i'm very flexible to like a combine or scrum i'm very you know but most of it being an engineer has been agile so but when i looked at the level of inefficiency here even like with time boxing or even when you have things you know there's something i talk about is it necessary to get done and some things you become more efficient when you just get rid of it completely so that kind of again that kind of led to my next question okay, I'm here, does getting corporate buy-in, does, is that kind of, did that kind of go into your first answer or? Well, project management as a in-demand, as, as something that, that is a position that, that, that people get hired for, that didn't start until 2006. It wasn't a thing prior to 2006. So you actually have companies that have not had to be exposed to that thing and they've still been making money. They aren't out of business just because they aren't doing it. So you actually want to come come to it from a, well, if you don't do it, kind of like a a project that is a little project, right? So those usually get pushed to the side for those big high payoff projects. This is a little project. It's not that big of a deal. 
we we need to do the thing that might cause headline risk, right? So now when you take a look at that littler project, there's a different type of conversation that you want to have. You, you actually want to ask, what is the cost of not doing it? And so when you're thinking about things in, in a business standpoint, you actually want to come to it and what is the cost of not doing it? Because they already know what the result is by doing it the way that they have been. But, but if, if they don't pivot, if they don't make that change, what is the cost of not doing it? Now, if the cost of not doing it is higher than them sticking to where they currently are, then they might pivot. But if your numbers, like when I was in college, I was a business economics major. So I'm all about the numbers. I know all about the bell curves, scatter plot diagrams, all of that. And I'm fully aware that we can make numbers look any way we want. There will always be numbers that are going to support what you are going to share. You actually want to find those numbers. Not to say that you are going to skew it so that it's not valid. I'm, I'm not saying that. But you are speaking to, if we keep doing it the way that we are doing it, provide them with what that timeline is and put money to that timeline. So if we keep doing it the way that we have been doing it, this is what that looks like. It's as if you're putting together a cost-benefit analysis for them. And you're also providing them, okay, well, let's look at this line. If we do it, then this is where our profit will be going. Even if the profit, because I don't know, do you remember green screens? Do you remember green screens? Yeah, I do actually. I mean, I was still using them at Sears uh, when I first started, <laughs> and they upgraded. I think Walgreens too. <laughs> and that was, I'm saying that's funny because it wasn't that long ago. I think 2008 or so, we still had green screen computers. You, you're right. Like technology changing in the same amount speed is insane. Yes, and and so since those changes are taking place, they have to know why they need to change. What is the benefit for them? Because most people don't like to change because then there's another project tied to it, right? You might have, have someone who's, who's going to run their, their change control processes, right? And, and they're putting together all types of Microsoft Visio diagrams and, and putting all, all of these things together so, so that they can map it. Are there non-value-added steps? So what you're doing today as a business, maybe doing this, we actually have efficiency. So there are steps that we have been doing. And from the an analysis, these are steps that we don't have to do, right? So if that one person who we're paying XYZ has more time because there are steps that they don't have to do, where can that money be better used, right? So this could be part of the efficiencies that they'll be using because of what you were able to uncover. Any other questions for me? 
That's it. Those were my two selfish questions. <laughs> ah, did it did it help? <laughs> Do you have any questions tied tied to what I said? Uh yeah, no, no, that that was that was it. I think I would just have to do the um the research on this part to get the numbers because um we're really we're extremely inefficient. So I just I would have to do the I would get the numbers now. That would be my next steps really. I gotcha. Now I know that you do sometimes work for other people, but I also know that sometimes you work for yourself. How would someone be able to get in contact with you and what would you have to offer to them? So LinkedIn.com, IN slash Flo Davis. Um, you can catch me on Facebook or you can catch me on Instagram. My Instagram number name is kind of complicated, so I might have to send you the link to put kind of in the show notes. Uh, but I think that the primary contact would definitely be LinkedIn, uh, Flo Davis, or, you know, even shoot me an email, fpdavis86 at gmail.com. Uh, those would be the main places that you contact me. Right now, my pivot definitely is, I would say, courses or teaching or speaking. Those, are, those would be the projects I'm interested in. And, and I, I speak on topics from spirituality to design or technology so, or, and do workshops on those as well. So those would be the services that I would offer at this time. Excellent, excellent. Well, I am overjoyed that you were able to take the time to speak with us today. I can't wait to introduce you to all of our viewers. So everyone, thank you so much for logging in to After Hours Conversations with Veronica, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for coming. You have been listening to After Hours Conversations with Veronica, brought to you by Veronica Lane Consulting, LLC.